Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God. So right now we're in a section of 1 Peter, and the, one of the themes of 1 Peter is uh, their responsibility, their conduct, and how they should live in this world as strangers and exiles. Um, he talked about the elect exiles at the beginning of his letters. And he repeats this, that refrain in there several times about being elect exiles or strangers and exiles in the world and how we should conduct ourselves among the, the Gentiles, referring to unbelievers, uh, how we should conduct ourselves in a very difficult and trying time. They, they hadn't quite experienced a, a high level of persecution yet at this writing. It was coming quite, um, quite shortly that, that uh, Nero had... Uh, had launched a, an attack against Christians and persecution was spreading out throughout the country. Um, it hadn't quite reached that point at this point in the letter, but it was getting there and getting close. And so he's talking about how do we live in these very difficult and trying times as strangers and exiles. And so let me recap that where we've been the last several weeks here. In chapter two, he talked about how to live as citizen strangers or how we live as citizens in relationship to the secular uh, government how we live in relationship to the governing authorities matters as a christian that was in chapter 2 verses 13 and 17 right after that he talked about the living as christ's servants or here as bonds servants or as slaves we saw in chapter uh, 2 verse 18 how we live as employees matters is for the Christian life. And now he gets to, and it's just kind of all part of one section. Now he's getting to how we should live as Christian spouses in the passage that we, we just read, how we live as families specifically in marriage matters. And just as all Christians are, to be subject to the governing authorities and servants are to be subject to their masters. Now, Peter now addresses wives and their husbands. So we're looking at the duty of Christian wives and Christian husbands in this passage. If you could break the passage down into two parts, it was Peter's instructions for wives at the beginning, verses one through six, and his instructions to husbands is in verse seven. Why is the, the wives passage longer? Why do the wives get six verses and the men get one? 
Okay, this was a conversation we had at our, our house this week. Um, I, I wouldn't read anything sinister into that because actually there's a similar passage, Ephesians 5, where the instructions to men is a lot longer. And if you add them up together, it kind of balances out. Okay. Um, but I think a great answer to this was uh, uh, he, he uses more words to make his message clear, right? It, word count does, is not a conspiracy or a misogynist make, okay? This is just, he's just explaining, he's using more words to explain uh, something quite carefully. So we're going to be looking at wives and husbands today. Wives get the first section as, in this uh, section on living as Christian spouses. Wives. Uh, falls under three headings. Here's your first one. Submit to your husbands in verses one and two. Likewise. Okay. And notice the, the likewise, because this is showing you that all of these are connected. This is all connected to the main instruction that we'll look, we'll look at here in a moment. Uh, the main verb that's dominating all of this is the one that, be, that uh, appears in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 11 of chapter two. No, excuse me. Um, Verse 13 of chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, okay? And so it's saying, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So here's the first section. Wives, submit to your husband. Now, what does submit mean? Well, let me begin with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you have no say. It doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you are a lesser person. It doesn't mean that you're just to do what your husband says. Okay, this is not what this submission means. Any more that you should just do at all times what the government says. Just because they say it. Especially if they forbid something that God commands and commands something that God forbids, correct? It's the same verb that's used there. It doesn't mean anymore that uh, a servant or employee should do whatever their master or employer asks, whether it's uh, unethical or immoral or sinful. They're not obligated to do, to do that. So it doesn't mean that you're a doormat, that you don't have an opinion, that you don't have a say, and that you do whatever your husband says. Okay. What does submission mean? Submission means, um, and it takes us back to this main verb that I said in verse 13, be subject. Okay. So, uh, here's the, here's the Greek, Greek word you need to know. Okay. Hupatasso. Let me hear you say hupatasso. Okay. I know Janet didn't say it. She was not being subjected to her husband at that point. <laughs> See, this happens all the time. It's Okay. There's nothing morally binding in making me, you say a Greek, a Greek word. Hupatasso. Okay. This is, it's a compound word. Tasso. The, the word tasso means to bring into order or to arrange. Okay. So if you're looking, if you're, you're like me and you put your books in your bookcases and you put them in alphabetical order by author. Anybody do this? Okay. Find another illustration quick. Find another. What was that? Who does <laughs> well, Okay, give me a moment to find another illustration then. Uh, 
But, but I think you get the idea. You're like, wait a second, this book doesn't go here, this goes here. And you put everything in an order. There's, a, there's, a, there's an order, there's an arrangement, and it's putting those things into their proper arrangement. The, um, the prefix on there, the hupo, and if you want to hear like a spelling of this, I'd give you this. H-Y-P-O-T-A-S-S-O, if you wanted to do a word study on this. The hupo prefix means under. So it means to place or to arrange things, arrange something under uh, in its proper order. Okay? In its proper order. There's several passages that the church is to submit themselves to Christ. Jesus himself, he submitted himself uh, to his parents when he had stayed behind in the temple and was talking at the temple. And his parents came and found him and then they left. Um, there's lots of great examples to help illustrate and flesh out this, this idea. But one of the key passages is the passage that I already uh, mentioned earlier, Ephesians chapter 5, that's similar to this one. Uh, when he gives similar instructions on wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, it's borrowing from this verb of the previous verse in Hebrew, or excuse me, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, which says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And actually, the wives submitting, it's borrowing the verb. Literally, it's wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay? So notice this idea, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. How does everybody submit to everybody else? It'd be like pulling up at a four-way stop and everybody, four cars pull up at the same time. And every, who would go? Right? That's, that's not, everybody submit. No, no, you go. No, no, you go. No, no, you go. Nobody would get anywhere. Uh, but what's that? The fastest car, yeah. <laughs> there's an order, right? It's the ones on the right, and there's no one there. So, um, so submitting means to place, to put yourself under into proper order. So when you submit yourself to the governing authorities, you're recognizing God is giving governing, the governing authorities for our good. Then we place ourselves under, under their authority, okay? So that's helpful to understanding a little bit what is meant by to submit here. To whom are the wives to submit? Let me, let me discredit something that's often a bad reading on these. That, um, that all women are to submit to all men. Read carefully what it says in this verse. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. In the Ephesians passage, it says the same thing. Wives, to your own husbands. I think it's a, a misrepresenting and a misreading to say that all women everywhere should submit to all men anywhere that could be found. It's not, not, not exactly what's being meant here. It's to your own hus husbands. To one's own. So that's who they are to submit. And then why? Why? Well, in this particular passage, here's, he gives a very interesting uh, situation here. If you read carefully, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, which means in this case, you have uh, you're a Christian woman of an unbelieving husband. So that even if you have a husband who does not obey the word, they they may be one without a word by the conduct of their lives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So it's almost a, an evangelistic or persuasive uh, thing that's emphasized here to win unbelieving husbands to the faith. So wife, don't act in such a way that it seemed to undermine your, your husband's authority. 
especially if you are going off, and if you think about it in the first world, first century world here, uh, whatever, wherever the, the head of the household would worship, all of the other members of the household would just go along. So here you have a situation where you have a wife who's not going to, to worship at the temple of idols or the emperor worship, but is instead going to a Christian community. And so he's live in such a way that you're it that as you're even obeying Christ in this way, you're not undermining your husband's uh, God given authority. Does that make sense? So so wives submit to your husbands here. Then he talks about this in proper adornments. Submit to your husbands should say your own husbands and then um, Peter emphasizes the proper adornment or propriety of dress. And notice the emphasis is not on externals. The emphasis is on the inward. Notice verse three, do not let your adorning be external. And then he lists three different things, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Okay, notice that this is not forbidding externals. It's not forbidding those. It's literally braided hair, putting on gold, wearing clothes. So he's not forbidding you wear, braiding your hair or wearing gold any more than he's forbidding women from wearing clothes. That's a misreading a little bit of what's happening here, right? He's saying, no, these are not to be the focus. These external things are not to be the focus. Do not let your adorning, your, your out like presentation to the world, that should not be your emphasis. Rather, your emphasis should be what's on the internal. This is really nothing more than what you'd see in the, the instructions to, to women in Proverbs, in particular Proverbs 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I think what Peter's saying here is very reminiscent of that paul says something very similar first timothy chapter two likewise also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair gold or pearls or costly attire but what with what is proper for women who profess godliness so he's talking about what matters is what's on the inside and again, keep in mind that the particular situation here he's talking about is the believing wife of an unbelieving husband. To go to another religious independent gathering apart from your husband was already a, a little controversial. And so here these instructions are just kind of to add to that, to say just in as much reverence and modesty and propriety as possible. And that the emphasis should be inward. Notice verse four. But let your adorning be the humble or the hidden person of the heart with which with. Let me say that again. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's talking about faith. What's precious 
to God is trusting in him. And he gets to that here in the next example. Here's the third one. The ancestral example of Sarah. Uses the example of Jewish matriarchs in the plural, but then he talks about just Sarah in particular. For Notice verse 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Again, the reference to submitting to their own husbands here. And by the way, notice that this is returning to the instruction of one and two. So you have this be subject to your own husbands in one and two. And then it resumes in five and six. And then in between, he's talking about the adorning. And so there seems to be a relationship between being subject to your husbands um, and, and the inward behavior. You know, just kind of they all seem to go together. But he uses the example of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, all Christians, all true Christians are children of Abraham, who was the father of father of the faith. John the Baptist, when the Pharisees came out to him as he's baptizing in the wilderness, calling for repentance on behalf of Israel to return to the Lord. And there were some, the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders would come out and, uh, John, in his very influential and polite way, um, would say, you brood of vipers, and things like that. And he goes, hey, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, raise up children for Abraham. Or as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, and this is a great passage, Uh, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it is counted to you as righteousness. You are a child of, of Abraham. He continues on. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So this is true for all believers. All believers are children of Abraham. We're the, the, the seed of Abraham because we're in Christ, um, including the women. But what Peter is doing here is by extension in his instruction here is he's saying, as we're all in faith, we're all children of Abraham through faith in Christ. By extension uh, to the ladies, that Sarah's like your, your ancestor that becomes your model. Notice what it says in verse six. As Sarah obeyed, Abraham calling him Lord. So I I looked this up and I was like, okay, what's the reference there? And and it's really interesting. Uh, Sarah did not did not address Abraham directly as Lord. I went to look this up. I'm like, oh, wait, what's he what's Peter talking about here? Where did Sarah address Abraham as Lord? She never directly addresses Abraham as Lord. So, guys, don't get any ideas. Don't misread this. You know, Peter says, you should address me as Lord. I don't want to hear any wives email me and say that my husband is now saying that, you know. Like Janet went to go get the groceries and I'm like, would you get some, you know, half and half? And she said, sure. And I'm like, it's yes, my Lord. (laughs) Right? No, that's not, that's not, not how it works. Right. 
The word Lord, we've talked about this, it means a title of reverence or dignity or respect. Okay? Sarah did address Abraham. Uh, she did call Abraham Lord, but it was interesting. It was in the context of the, the angelic visitors that come to announce that they're going to have a child. Remember this passage? Genesis 18. And so uh, the, the angelic visitors, the angels of the Lord come. And they address Abraham and Sarah overhears what's happening. Let me read a little bit of this passage. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old. Right. That's the only reference there which she's referring to Abraham. And she's saying like. My, after my Lord is old, my, my old man or the old man or whatever reference it would be. After my Lord is old, shall I have uh, the pleasure, she says, the pleasure of having a child, that is. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. Okay, that's important. He said, no, but you did laugh. I like that. I did not laugh. No, but you did. No, but you did. So Peter here is kind of connecting as, as, a, as somebody who is a Christian through faith in Christ. Uh, Abraham becoming the model for that. As, you, as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He becomes the pattern and the model then for all Christians. As you turn to Christ, you believe in Christ and his righteousness is credited to you. And Peter's kind of saying, by extension, ladies, then you, you have a perfect example and a model here in, in Sarah. And so he says, and you are her children. If you do good and not, do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, Sarah was not perfect. Neither was Abraham. There were a couple of occasions where it would have been better had Abraham listened to Sarah. And he didn't. So Sarah wasn't perfect. And so what Peter is saying here, but, but you, on the other hand, do good in the places where she didn't do good. And then do not fear anything that is frightening. What does that mean? Let me, get, let me drive home what it doesn't mean, just to be clear on some things. It doesn't mean... Submit to your own husbands, even if you are terrified him, just trust in God. I, 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 didn't, I didn't really think that there were some pastors that actually kind of taught this, that said, even if you are in a terrifying home situation, trust in God. Well, trusting in God is a good thing, but I don't think that that's what Peter is getting at here in this passage. He is not in any way suggesting that women should go along with abuse. Sarah followed Abraham. That's the key thing to think about here. What does this mean? Is that Sarah followed Abraham as Abraham was called by the Lord to leave his people, to go out from his clan and his countrymen and to go to the land that the Lord God had shown him. He and she then became wanderers, no place to really call home, never even seeing really the promise that the Lord God had given him come to full fruition. 
Now, this is where I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter. You know, it goes through Israel's history as recorded in Scripture and finds these great examples of faith. And the writer of Hebrews is driving that home. And we get to Abraham in verse 8. For by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that, that they were what? Strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they could have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him back from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What a what an awesome passage. What a summary of the life of Abraham and Sarah and this the faith, the forward looking faith in believing in the promises of God as they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So think of it this way. This instruction is Sarah being the, the model and to do not fear what is frightening. Sarah followed Abraham as he walked by faith, as they walked by faith, she too had faith. They went forward seeking the promise. The writer of Hebrews specifically mentions Sarah's faith in this great, great, uh, the great faith chapter. They went forward seeking the promise and walking by faith. And here's the thing. Walking by faith is terrifying. Following Christ can be scary. Peter hearkening back to this is saying, wives, remember the faith of Sarah. Remember how she referred to her husband as, as her Lord. Remember their road was not easy. Remember where the Lord brought them. Remember her quiet spirit, her trust in the Lord. And remember the reward she received for that trust. When you trust in the Lord, a trust that he sees is precious, then you don't have to fear 
all that there is to fear in being strangers and, and exiles on the earth. And you'll receive that reward too. Amen? So wives, submit to your husbands, proper adornment, and then remember your ancestral example from Sarah. Now, guys, I want to give equal time here. Now to the guys, verse 7. Husbands, verse 7. Likewise, again, notice the likewise. This is all following under that main verb, the main imperative verb back in chapter 2, verse 13. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, again, notice the likewise and respectful submission in according to the order of things that God has provided. So as citizens are to be under governing authorities, bond servants to masters, wives to husbands. Now, husbands have to recognize where they fit in this, this authority scheme as well. Now, this is a very complex sentence in the Greek. I have spent most of my week was really just thinking through this. The, the ways that this verse is translated in the various translations is very fascinating to compare. Um, and so I want to use for the, this exposition time, I want to use a different translation. Um, and so I'm going to put it on the screen here. This is from the Legacy Standard Bible. It's a new one that's coming out. The New Testament and the Psalms are available. And if you have your ESV here, you can kind of compare it. But the way I was reading it in the Greek, this one fit some word order a little bit better. And so I'm going to use this as my, my outline for my instruction. Okay, so just a little disclaimer there. So let me read it. Your husband, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, the key... The, the key thing to notice is uh, the woman and weaker vessel is placed up with the first section, not in the, the honor section. So there's the live with section, and then there's the honor section, and then there's the prayer section. Okay, So the live with section, the only difference is it's putting weaker vessel and woman up with that. And I think that that's important. Okay, So here's the th three things, guys, to keep in mind. Live with your wife. Understanding the differences between men and women. So I'll read from the, the version that I just read. Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is the woman. Or living together according to knowledge, as to the weaker female vessel, would be how I would translate it from the Greek. Okay? So what is weaker vessel here? This is referring to the... Uh, Quite simply, there's elaborate you know, explanations. It's referring to something quite simple as this. There's differences physically between men and women. That's ultimately what this is. It's talking about the differences in physical strength between men and women. That's the weaker part. Okay. Now, think back in all of human history. When this would have been controversial... When would this have been controversial? <laughs> well, it's controversial now, right? This, I think for a lot of us, we read this and we go, this is common, this is common sense. This is observable science. 
There's differences between men and women. Now, this is not talking about inferiority uh, as to personhood or anything like that. He's talking about men and women are different. And this goes back to Genesis chapter 2. The man was made, the woman was, was made, and from, from uh, his side, it says, and that the Lord God presented the woman to the man, and what does the man say? You know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she came from man. What, what, what's interesting, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and read that instruction there, um, especially in verse 18, when the Lord God says it's not good for the man to be alone, we need to make a suitable helper for him. Ezer kinegdo is the, the Hebrew phrase. So it's helper like, but opposite him or in front of him. I love this. I usually, when I do, uh, do marriage sermons and to, you know, to officiate a wedding, I bring this up. And I think it's now becoming more important every single day. Men and women are different. Women were made to be like, you know, a helper like the man, but not like the man. <laughs> like, but opposite him is how you would, would translate that phrase, that Hebrew phrase. Like, but in front of him. Like, but opposite him. We're very similar, but we've got some key visual differences. I mean, because he notices right away, right? Because the fig leaves don't come until later, the next chapter. So he could figure this out, right? So if this is obvious. Now, this is what's, it's mind-blowing to me that this is actually, <laughs> this is actually, this is, this is an, again an attempt to just abs to usurp God's authority. Even going to the point of denying the obvious. But that's what Peter is saying. He's just saying here, husbands, husbands, recognize, recognize the created nature between men and women. And that she is the weaker vessel since she is the woman. And so keep that constantly in your consideration as you live with the woman. You have a different role. You have a different role. And so you need to be considerate of the wives, remembering the, that distinction and that difference. Okay, so husbands, live with your wives, recognizing you have unique roles that God has given you and they have unique roles that God has given them and make sure you he's not telling you husbands on what the wife's role is he's telling you on what yours is and make sure you abide by that so husbands live with your wives under this understanding that's just the beginning here and then he says honor your wife is the second half of verse three and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is part of why that, that um, I wanted to use this phrase. Because in the, um, or this verse from this translation. Um, so in the ESV it says. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. But I think that the weaker vessel goes with the knowledge part of the first clause here. I think the showing honor is to be connected with the fact. That she is a co-heir with you of the grace of life, a joint heir co-equals in terms of your understanding of your personhood in Christ and before God. 
This is saying nothing more than what uh, than what Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians chapter three. There's for now in Christ, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Now, it's not what some have done and to flatten that out and say, well, there's no distinctions between men and women and no distinctions in their roles or those kinds of things, because that directly goes against what he just said in the first clause. Rather, he's saying, uh, show honor to the woman under the full recognition and understanding that before the throne of grace, you guys are the same. The ground is level. Husband and wife before the cross of Christ. And so obviously, this should go without saying, uh, but sadly, it's said by some um, that, that women are not inferior to men in, in, in this way at all in the, the New Testament instruction. So showing her honor. Show her honor. It's a gift to have a believing wife. And show her honor in that. Encourage her in that. That's the second one. Number three. And here's the reason. Failure to do this. This is connected to the honor part. but It's connected to both. But it's following right on the honor part. Failure to honor your wife. Or failure to live in a way that recognizes the distinctions. The distinct ways in which God has made you. Failure to do so hinders your prayers. Okay? So that your prayers may not be hindered. So, uh, Peter's connecting, think about this, Peter is connecting the efficacy of your primary means of communication with the triune God with how you honor your wife. See how word count really doesn't matter at this point? Like, word count really doesn't matter. This is a really strong punch here. I'll say this again. The efficacy of your primary means of communication with the triune God is directly related to how you honor your wife. Or this way. The consequence, men, of not living with the recognition of your wife's unique role as a woman and not honoring them as co-heirs with Christ and an equal before the throne of grace is broken fellowship with God. That's what Peter is saying. So husbands, live with your wives in this understanding way as the weaker vessel, as the woman, and honor them as fellow heirs of the grace of God of life so that your prayers will not be hindered covered a lot here um, but let me if i could summarize a little bit of this this uh, way of understanding husbands and wives i think in a sinful and fallen world you have a couple of um, several ways that this relationship which again is so foundational to the institutions that God is established in the world, right? He says there's your civic institution, there's your economic institution, and then there's the family institution. There's living as uh, citizens in the world, as 
bond servants and as you live in the home. Here's the way that this is usually distorted. For husbands, in the marriage, it usually gets distorted in one of two ways. Either they tend toward domination or they tend toward passivity. Neither of those is the biblical way. Rather, husbands are to forsake the, the domination part and the harshness part and they, um, or selfishness and uh, selfishness, which would be the, the passivity part, and they're to grow in their love and service to their wives. This is the biblical instruction, okay? So not domination, not passivity. Women, likewise, are not to go into servility or usurpation of their husbands. So they're not to be a doormat, nor are they to kind of say, the old man is wrong. Okay, so it's neither of those things. We could unpack this quite, quite a bit uh, more, but let me just mention a couple of resources and, um, and re- remind me to, to email some uh, links out to some of these, which I think give a helpful, helpful explanation of these things. Two of them would be, um, and I'll, I'll name them for you now. One is a website called The Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. Has anybody heard of this? Right? Okay. Um, I don't normally sign these kind of statements. I I signed this one a a year or so ago. And uh, there it's dealing with a lot of different things, in particular social justice, but they're talking about human sexuality as one whole article on human sexuality, and I think it's helpful. Let me just read a section of it for you. We affirm that God created mankind, male and female, and that this divinely determined distinction is good and proper and to be celebrated. Maleness and femaleness are biologically determined at conception and not subject to change. It's just a little part of there. We deny that human sexuality is a socially constructed concept, and we also deny that one's sex can be fluid. That's just giving you an example of what's in that. So the statement on social justice and the gospel, and I'm reading from Article 10. The other one is from the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and it's called the Danvers Statement. And so uh, I encourage you to, uh, to check that one out as well. That one was written in, I think it was back in the early 80s, and it was done with a deep concern of kind of what was happening in the society and what was happening in the church. Uncertainty or confusion uh, in the culture about the differences between men and women. They were noticing this 40 some, almost 40 years ago. And noticing, thinking through the the tragic consequence of what would happen if this, this arose. And so they put on a couple of things here, and I'll just read a couple. Uh, Both Adam and Eve Real historical persons were created in God's image, equal before God as persons and distinct in their manhood and womanhood. Distinctions in masculine and feminine roles are ordained by God as part of the created order and should find an echo in every human heart. And it talks about how the fall introduced distortions in those relationships. In the home, the husband's loving, humble headship tends to be replaced by domination or passivity. The wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be replaced by usurpation or servility. And this they seek to correct. Husbands, forsake harsh and selfish leadership. Grow in love and care for your wives. 
Wives should forsake resistance to their husband's leadership and authority and grow in willing, joyful submission to their husband's leadership. Then there's plenty of scripture verses to unpack that uh, quite a bit. But this is getting at what Peter is talking about in these verses. Wives, submission to your husbands as is proper to the Lord. To your own husbands, be, care, be cautious in your, or, your adorning of yourselves and focus on the inward. And remember Sarah as the example. And husbands, live with your wives, remembering what your role. Honor your wife as a co-heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Amen? Amen. Because this matters. It's the same way that living as citizens, strangers in the world matters and that living as Christian servants of Christ in the workplace matters, uh, living as Christian spouses matters. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you immensely for your word. So grateful for um, that you have spoken to us. We're grateful for great teachers throughout church history that you've given us to learn from regarding this and pray God that we would um, that we would learn from this and uh, subject ourselves to this scripture uh, joyfully knowing that it is for our good and God we pray for a world that all around us is just seeking to upend this design that you have made for men and women we pray God that you would Give them eyes to see. That's their really only hope. That they would have eyes to see your design and your plan that you have given in your law. And that they would reject the ways in which they rebel against it. And would turn to Christ as Savior. So God, enable us as Christian spouses to do what your word tells us. And we pray this in Christ's mighty name. And all God's people said. Amen and amen. So friends, let's stand for uh, closing benediction. Um, check the email for updates in terms of the, uh, the men's meet. Uh, the offering box is on the, the back table. And now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.